Okay, John, you put me up. I st- I finally started listening to Sinatra a couple years ago because you put me on up on the um, live at the what was it live at the Sands? Sinatra at the Sands. Sinatra at the Sands. That album messes me up because it's like he's he's talking and joking with this audience, and he's like, hey, you know, blah blah blah. <laughs> then he just dives into this song that completely messes me up, wrecks me. Right. And then he comes back. So you enjoying your drinks? And everybody, it's like, <laughs> dude, it's like, what just uh-huh, happened? Right. It's like, hold on. It's like, give me a minute to come back. <laughs> is the music snobs podcast my name is arthur your lead voice and i am joined as always by scoop scoop jackson's on assignment isaac and jahan and today we have a a a special guest um something that's been long in the making um he's been kind enough to work with us uh with his schedule and our schedule back and forth but we finally have secured him uh we'd like to welcome salam remy Welcome to the show. Producer, to say that he's a producer is true, but I mean, it's kind of uh, a shallow statement. Um, Salam is responsible for, oh my gosh, uh, Fuji's, The Score, Amy Winehouse, um, Nas, Nasir Jones, um, Jasmine Sullivan, Nelly Furtado, uh, God, Estelle. uh, There's just been so many. Um, And he is the head of Flying Buddha Records, uh, home to uh, a group that we love, especially Hiatus Coyote. So, thank you for coming on. Um, My pleasure. Any, uh, any nuggets you can tell us of what you've been working on, what's coming out? Um, Another well, Hiatus Coyote album. Yeah, so Hi- Hiatus Coyote, they just got all of them back in Australia. After this last year, they were touring a lot, and Napalm put out a solo acoustic. So they're just starting to get back into the studio now. So we'll see what this year brings with that. But, you know, they're, they're excited to get back into their creative process. Um, so that's beginning. And then me, myself, I put out... 50 songs like at the end of 2016 which I entitled Do It For The Culture um, that was for me just important for me to just to have a set of music that I was doing because I felt like it not necessarily because I was waiting for some type of label to say this is what mm-hmm. it is it wasn't a commercial thing it was really about me personally just expressing where it is and I'm just kind of at that point in my career where I've done a lot of different things, you know, running Flying Buddha, then even my label, uh, Louder Than Life, I've had, you know, Starly and Omi and all types of pop success, billions of streams, and, you know, of course, yeah. critical acclaim from Hiatus Coyote, you know, did my New York project with Mac Wilds, doing different things mm-hmm. that I felt like I was expressing myself with. But on the bigger scale, <laughs> right now, it's more or less this legacy as far as I feel. And I'm yeah. just at a point where... 
I want to hear music the way I want to hear it. So the main song that kind of came out of that Do It For The Culture was Miguel's Come Through And Chill, which mm-hmm. sustained itself during all of last year. And then now we added J. Cole to Miguel's album, and I think that's coming. We're shooting a video for that in a couple of weeks. So mm. for me, 2016 is still riding into 2018. But yeah. personally, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting in what I call the brown sauce. Just like the root of the tree, you know, sitting down where it's deep, it's soul, it's blues, it's jazz, it's underground, it's hot, it's appreciating the rain, it's appreciating the sunshine, you know, just more of my element. And, you know, everything I do is based in soul, blues, jazz, 80s, 90s hip hop, and, you know, focused songs, great voices, bass lines. And that's where I'm focused. And I plan on putting out a lot of music this year. I, I was going to put out a lot last year. But I just kind of took a pause and looked at it. I'm just getting to the place where it's there. So exciting. I can't say exactly what's coming, but a lot should yeah. be coming. Okay. When I learned that Funky Buddha was, was your label, it really spoke to me about the breadth that you have. Mm-hmm. Because it's so it's a very eclectic group. Right. Putting out a group like Kaya's Coyote is, you know, it's 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 an expression of this is music that needs to be heard that you know hip hop doesn't do that's not its vehicle to be able to do that kind of musical expression in that way you know well from my listening to at least what I heard of Talk Tomahawk that was out on Bandcamp um, even when I sent it to Q-Tip and said hey would you be interested in getting on Nakamura he was into mm-hmm. it because it sounded like what we would have sampled they sounded like the fusion jazz they sounded like you know it was very well put together it was musical and they were going places in their grooves but besides the eclecticness of it it was also you know I was just a couple minutes ago listening to Rotary Connection and how different Mm -hmm. that was and you know even when Mm -hmm. Q-Tip is sampled on Beneath Applebaum and I was sitting there thinking to myself Tip in 1989 heard that this Rotary Connection which was psychedelic orchestral and Charles Stephanie and Minnie Ripperton going to the left Mm -hmm. fit with the ramp and then he's going to talk about Bonita is my girl and whisper on it and give her a love rap so Mm -hmm. I felt like Hiatus Coyote was in the spirit of what we sampled and that's always part of hip hop to me because I feel like the hip hop generation is about repurposing anything that's ever happened back into where we are now we take a set of strings from Stravatsky from the 1500s recorded again in the 1920s in Eastern Europe and Black Rob's gonna tell you about woe on it we take Mona Lisa that's been a painting for however long it's been there but if I say Mona Lisa to anybody in my generation they're like slice a pizza slick rich eye patch you know what I'm saying so I just look at it as that's really what hip hop is oh this is really what you're doing that's your grandmother's clothes oh if I rip a hole in it and put some spray paint right here boom (laughs) you know what I'm saying this is what it is Mm -hmm. so the music to me even though it's eclectic and of course you know my background is way musical and you know I grew up around you know all those type of guys my dad was a musician so you know my Elvin Jones made my drum set for me when I was three years old and he was Miles drummer so I come from a super musical side but the reality is that hiatus I just felt like wow this is good and that was the whole thing and even the name of the label being Flying Buddha my goal Mm -hmm. when I was at Sony even though I had different things I went to the jazz department and I was like hey where would the first Amy Winehouse album go within this label when everyone's focused on pop records well Flying Buddha was designed in a way where you know Amy's first album was to be a jazz hip hop album 
So that was the whole thought. And then uh, they had Buddha records already, but they yep. only owned it in certain territories of the world. So I turned around and said, hey, why don't we make it Flying Buddha as Flying Dutchman meets Buddha records put together Flying Buddha. Mm. So that was what the whole idea oh, was, wow. you know, in, in general. And it still is, you know, that's what I'm going to continue to do. But now I'll be putting out more instrumental albums, you know, harpists mm -hmm. and, you know, I have a couple of my, you know, brass and woodwind, you know, instrumentalists in the house today we're going to record and then whatever comes up it'll be like Sunday sessions we record on Sundays we make something we throw it out why? because it sounds good and we like it well that's a good segue of talking about things that we love and appreciate because we are coming close on top of the Valentine's Day traditional holiday in the God, it's not just in the US you all celebrate Valentine's Day over there right? Jay? <laughs> sometimes by force but yeah <laughs> by force <laughs> Not always by force, sometimes by choice. <laughs> indeed. 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 Well, today we're going to talk about the art of the love song. Everything from Frank Sinatra's stylings to Miles Davis's ballads and blues uh, to Marvin Gaye's longing, uh, Prince's aching, uh, dear God, to Jodeci's begging, throw Keith Sweat in there too, and Amy, Amy Winehouse's yearning, um, and even Drake being all in his feelings and the passion of Hayes Coyote. Uh, we're going to take a look and reflect on the present condition but historically what makes a love song um where is that today i was i was talking to my son the other day about you know what what are love songs and he was uh you know the first thing that he mentioned was oh well you know there's love off of uh kendrick's dam <laughs> and you I mean, was well, how, how old is how cute you might want to tell the audience remind yeah, them yeah my son Kasim is. is 17 and but uh, a few other people named Drake there were some scissor songs that were that were named as well and be it that you know uh, I'm a little aged out from what he's listening to to a degree I had to step back and be like well no that's a love that is a love song because a love song in a lot of ways is where you're able to put yourself can you put yourself into the situation that the singer is is uh, is expressing you know whom you relate to so i couldn't you know i couldn't i couldn't knock it it's just different it's a generational thing and i think that's cool because uh you know for me i'm not a slow jam guy my man isaac is a slow jam guy he's got a slow jam tape volume one volume three and all this other kind of stuff but i'm a little off center i mean like to me bitch don't kill my vibe is a love song it's a break like a you know what i mean it's like he's expressing you know we not we not on the same page you know hold, hold up before we go any further let me ask salam this because i think i've asked y'all this before is there a difference between a slow song and a slow jam yeah a slow song could be about my mama uh, a slow jam is kind of like a come hither record you know what I'm saying like I, I when I look at even you know when I'm working with Miguel or something like that I'm like yo the purpose of you singing guys in my uh, thug mentality neighborhood is to help you know get it a little bit closer let's play this song right here you know my dad used to tell me when he was out on the road when I was a kid and you know of course he wasn't supposed to be doing this but he said he'd go out there and he'd have his headphones and he'd get there when they had the hi-fi headphones in the 70s and he would play mm -hmm. uh, the Ohio players and you know most people weren't used <laughs> to hearing the music like that so the girl would put on the headphones and then they go it's a L 
and it's a O, and it's a V, and it's a U, and it's a me, and then it's a whoa, let's love. He takes who they hit them high notes. Oh, let's love. The girl goes, Oh, this sounds so good. He's like, I gotta. Ah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, in my mind, it was basically the song was helping the conversation. And mm-hmm. the mood of the songs, you know, I have a crazy Marvin Gaye playlist I listen to unintentionally, but it's, you know, it's become part of what it is. Some people like songs in the key of life. Some different people have different songs that lyrically right. may help the game that they don't have. You know, when the young kid's able to say, you know, when I sit alone in my room, he's spitting the, you know, I remember the, was the Wayne's Brothers or one of them was saying the lyrics to LL oh, Cool J's I Need Love. I was a girl, you know, kind of like trying to serenade a girl with it. The lyrics, you know, I should just be able to like, yo, I want you. Oh, really? And I want you to want me too. Like, if she don't get it, if she falls <laughs> for it, then perfect. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If she does get it, she should be able to laugh. No, and then and that's why I think the love song aspect is the love song is ultimately helping to say things that I don't know how to say. But how do you separate love songs from slow jams? Like ninety percent of songs are about love. Like slow jams tend to be about the physical, right? And to do it right, there's got to be a rawness and a, and and they've got to be genuine. Like, what's the difference between love songs and slow jams? I think for us, the the slow jams to a song actually would be separated by. Okay, this may be a slow song. You might be saying, I love you and I really want to see you, but it ain't working. The slow jam is the one that actually musically, melodically, lyrically gets under your skin and actually right. makes somebody feel. It's like having um, a song with an organ and a piano and having a gospel song. When you get a certain type of gospel song, it's going to emotionally move you. You know, mm-hmm. Bobby Bland's Sad Feeling is a sad record, but I feel so good when I'm listening to this sad record that now it moves me a certain way. And I just think with a slow jam, jam if it's a jam play another slow jam it's like it gives you that thing when you got a a good slow jam tape it's moving the energy a certain way it's emotionally getting to you so that's my separation between a slow song and a slow jam at least from my point of view um a woman asked me many years ago to put a slow you know slow jam this is back when we're still making slow jam tapes together for and she requested that the question of you be Mm -hmm. on this thing yeah and i was like that ain't a slow jam. Why not? Because of the lyrics. And I'm like, that's a that's a song about him searching. Know, that is not a song about love. It's about it's a it's a singular song. It's about him searching himself to find out what he wants to be and do in life. As nothing, it's not a slow jam. And I got upset and stopped feeling her because of that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like that's not as that's you ain't we, we, fuck, bro. we we had a you philosophical hell, man. <laughs> oh, please don't. We don't want to bring up some of the stories about you and your Prince stuff. But anyway. <laughs> That was a philosophical difference. <laughs> but you see my point. That's not a... The lyrics took that song... The groove definitely was a, was a slow jam. But the lyrics took that song in a completely different direction. Mm-hmm. And it's not a slow jam to me. I think the slow jam is just harder to master. If I had, if I had to compile a list of slow jams, that's a much shorter list than you would say, you know, give me your list of just slow songs. You know what I'm saying? It's like that, that combination of, to Jay's point of authenticity of genuine feeling when it comes to the sexual i think is much more i think i think a lot a lot of artists feign that or fake that um or you know think they may be able to express it but it doesn't come off as the same as as a prince or marvin Gaye. i think that the number of artists who have mastered the slow jam um is few and far between 
I mean, but then, okay, I guess we'll, we'll, if we were looking at it from that perspective too, who is from 90s coming to now forward, who has the most slow jams? It's right. R. Kelly. Mm-hmm. See, and, that's, and we and know that's, R. Kelly is serious about whatever he said in his mind. Now, whether it's, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, a, a grown woman might not find it genuine, but is he? does he really think you remind him of a Jeep? He's using lyrics, but ultimately... He has, you know, I'm feeling on your booty, and girls are singing. I'm like, did you really sing the song about like, like where are you going with this? He yeah. actually had that many records that hit in the down tempo space. Whether it was the down low, whether it was this, like, it kept. But he was focused on that subject matter because obviously that's what he's interested in. But I can't say he's not genuine. He's genuine. It's just whether or not you're buying it. You know, the I was, right. uh, I forgot where I was. Oh, I was listening to. Uh, something on Spotify and it just it just left what I was listening to and went to Janet Jackson's Anytime Any Place the R. Kelly remix and he didn't sing on that remix but you know he added he put that bass in there and that groove in there and it was like that song was already pretty much you know the, the original version of that song was well established but what he did to that song brought it into the bedroom even further um, it made it more of a slow jam to me than it was before. Nah, I, I got to disagree with that. I mean, he certainly made it a lot more popular and it really fit with the time. I mean, this is 12 play time, right? When R. Kelly was running it. And so he had, you know, he had his drums and his bass and that Isley's influence that he had, that kind of 90s take on the Isley's. Yeah. I guess he just made it like a little bit more everyday sounding to me, you know. Um, but the the original Jam and Lewis version, that's that's the jam. That that beat is so sensual. It's like a crawl, mm-hmm. like a languid, warm mm-hmm. crawl. Just that boom, boom, boom. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't see how it could be more bedroom than it is. And I like the R. Kelly version for what it was at the time. Nah, I think the bed. I think the Jam and Lewis, and you know, I'm not saying anything against the original because I agree with you. Is it extraordinarily sensual. I think it was in the bedroom, but I think the R. Kelly was underneath the sheets. To, to it was the that. bass. That's really what it was. It was the, yeah, the bass it was of like, it that was like to a skin on skin, bro. <laughs> it had a little more bump going. No, it was it was kind of like the, the anytime, any place original was making love, and that one had a little bump to it. Like she turned over. Like that's what it, <laughs> it, 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 it was like okay over oh, this way are we going there it had a little bit more bump but then once again he he was able to find that Osley sound like you said and transform it into the 90s the way he was using right. the 808 drums on everything prior to Trap being as popular you know he just was able to do that the same way that you know if that would have happened you know 10 15 years no shoot 15, 20 years later, it would have been Drake and 40s underwater emo sound that they were wrestling with, and it would have done the same effect because it was just about bass and space on it. But, you know, good conversation because ultimately both sides of that song, and if we look at Janet Jackson, it's like, well, did she really mean anytime, any place, Or did she just say that to get me to buy her record? Mm. <laughs> no. Mm. It worked. Bro, I believe it. Exactly. I still believe it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Janet always seemed well. That's a whole other conversation. But anyway, um, Arthur said a word I think that kind of stuck out to me, um, and maybe this is just the writer in me. But when you talked about the yearning, and I think about something that's has existed in love songs, um, whether they be a happy song or a sad song or a sexual song or all three, 
something to me that has existed in love songs since you know Sinatra, since Nat, since uh, uh, Nat King Cole going all the way forward to now, is that yearning, you know, longing. Mm-hmm. Even even when you t- the song is about, um, it's not necessarily about wanting a girl who you who's out of reach. Even when it's about wanting a girl that you already have, there's still that yearning. I, I think you know I'm the Marvin Gaye head, so I'm always gonna bring it back to Marvin. What made him so special, one of the things, was his ability to encapsulate the yearning and the longing, even when he had the girl. Even when there's this, you know, off of uh, uh, Let's Get It On, you know, it's please stay once you go away. So even when you're gone, please stay. You know, there's that that idea of uh, that, that natural never quite being able to get what you're after, never quite being able to hold on to it. Um, almost like love is smoke and you just you can't hold it in your hand even when you have it Mm -hmm. i think that's something that's been you know that's that has always been in love songs and i think that's one that 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 feeling is something that you can kind of trace or kind of say is a part of his dna yeah i feel that i would maybe even go a little bit more general than that and say the art is where you just it just strikes a chord with you when you're feeling joy when you're feeling sadness actually more often than not sadness suddenly these songs speak to you and they speak to you in a way that they articulate everything that you're feeling and even sometimes didn't know you were feeling to such an extent that when they do it right you're like wow this this means something to me and only to me to nobody else in the world it just speaks to my experience and what i'm feeling right right now Hmm. you know we often talk about music being a soundtrack to our lives i think that's never better done than when a love song or a slow jam is done artistically. But whatever the anatomy of it is, it's, it's just magic when it happens. And that's your art. That's what you're saying the art is. Yeah, it makes you feel like you're in front of the Eiffel Tower because this song, right. You Are My Destiny, you know, maybe it's a big band record or something, but it's still giving you that, wow, I can't believe yeah. this moment happened. In some way, it's for in- somebody. It's interesting, Jado, to hear you say that because... Traditionally, I'm such a cold-hearted bastard. Yeah, well, that, 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 that as too, well. But yeah. that goes without saying. But traditionally, on this show, you're the one who is less lyrically inclined. In other words, you're more about the music, less about the lyrics. Absolutely. Um, so it's interesting. Who, but I, I think but I'll tell you I would what, I'll say tell you though, why, though. I'll tell you why I'm saying that. You've got it absolutely right. I'm not saying it has to have lyrics. Um, as long as the music's right, the harmony and the melody and the groove that can take me to that exact same emotional space I'm talking about. Like. You know, even when a song has lyrics sometimes, I'm not actually listening to what they're saying. I just listen to how they sing it. And that gives me all the emotion I need. Like, um, we're talking about Hiatus Coyote at the beginning. And this is going to sound crazy, but some of their lyrics are so complex. And they may not mean it the way I feel it, but I still feel some of their songs on an emotional love level. Mm-hmm. So if they were instrumental, you would feel the same way? Not, no, not necessarily. I, I think it's the sound of the voice... Uh, plus the music that gives me what I need. So it's like D'Angelo first album compared to the second album. What you mean in terms of mumbling? You can't really figure out. It what didn't he's make saying, a difference. But... It's just that it sounded so <laughs> sexy when you heard Voodoo, and you know, mm-hmm. and if you sit there and try to hear what he's saying, you hurt yourself. But if you stand back and pretend he's a trumpet, this yeah. melody is exactly. amazing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You stand but, back. And meanwhile, he's on a the trumpet. first album, it was so clear that it actually yes. shifted things because. The songs were that clear. Shifted things. What do you mean when you say shifted things? I'm saying that the the Brown Sugar album pushed um, the ability for 
the type of music that he was coming with at that time to go forward because people were able to now relate to relate to Brown Sugar and what he was singing as a crooner. Otherwise, yeah. it would have been seen as too old. It wasn't just because he had braids. It was also they connected to the lyrics and him comparing it to weed. And, you know, the songs right. stood out more because you could understand what he was saying. So you ab- you advocate that over the trumpet sound of, of voodoo. Um, for me personally, a, a... I'm all lyrics. I'm 98% lyrics. I know that we can make music. Mm-hmm. You know, any mm-hmm. artist that works I with love me, this dude. We, we, I give them a glorified click track and what's our story. And then I'll do the arrangement afterwards. You know, it's whether, you know, my success in the second half of Quick Mind is more than the second half now, but it was like from Fuji's forward, um, it's just been, we work on lyrics all day. What's the lyrics going to be? And then, okay, cool, how are we going to arrange it? You know, Nas would always say, I'll write something and then I can say it 90 different ways. It doesn't make a difference to cadence or whatever it is. It's did the words actually, all the words stronger than the kick drum is why Lions and Tigers and Bears by Jasmine works a certain way because it was about the mm-hmm. lyric make you go oh dang why'd you say that mm-hmm. you know okay but back to the Hiotis Coyote example their lyrics are often very intricate and, and complicated and layered and you know the, the meaning of them isn't always immediately clear to, to the listener but they've struck a you know tremendous chord with their audience that's where you with so, their audience with their audience exactly their audience okay. so that's where you you separate the the men from the boys per se um because of the fact of you know do you ever have to wonder what stevie wonder just said that's why he's stevie wonder do you ever have to wonder what marvin gay just said marvin gay could sing a cover ronald isley's singing a james taylor record or whatever else but the way he brought it across he just saying hello but you feel like you want to jump in your bed in the bubble bath or something <laughs> with, with eight hellos <laughs> you know what i'm saying but, but, what does it mean but take it take it back to the trumpet miles davis when he's playing john coltrane when he's playing wayne shorter when they're playing mm-hmm. there are no lyrics there I don't feel I need to, like if I'm listening to, say Miles Davis's Iris, written by Wayne Shorter, I don't feel I need a lyrical accompaniment to it. Mm-hmm. I feel that his saxophone tells me everything I need to know about the concept behind that song. And the I feel the same way about uh, In I, Your Own Sweet Way. I think you're the exception though there, Jay. And I, we've had well, this conversation before because... If you to to Salam's point, I think that and I, I think that in the context of R and B, soul music, blues, whatever, I think we hold lyrics to a higher degree when it comes to the love the slow song. Most people a love song could be anything, it could be fast, slow, whatever. But when people say in the context of R and B, especially when people say slow song, or that's different, you know, that's a mid tempo or a slow song. And I think in the context of those songs, we hold lyrics to a higher degree. We hold them more accountable than we do with the, with the fast songs. And Jay, I really feel that. Yes, I think uh, Miles and, and some of the great jazz uh, musicians of, the, of their era and, and, and since have made great, you know, slow songs. But if you ask most people, "Hey, what's the slow song that you know you most connect to, or the one that really encapsulates this era of your life?" It's going to be something with lyrics to it because they they want not, they want the not, story. But that's not necessarily because that's not necessarily just with slow songs. Like, if you ask most people, if you ask that same person, what's your favorite song? They're not going to mention a Wayne Shorter song. Right. Well, they're I'm, not, I'm not. They're not going to mention. I think though, I would. I would bet. I would. I would even say if you ask jazz heads, what's that, we're talking about slow songs. 
We're not mm-hmm. talking about all these other songs. Just in the context of slow songs, I like, do. You can. What's what's the what's the slow song that really encapsulates the story of you and your lady? It's mm-hmm. going to be something with lyrics. You know what I'm saying? Because it tells a story. You can't replace words. Well, I don't. I, I don't think that you need lyrics to constant to always tell a story. I you think it can be no, done. You, in don't. Song. you can you can do you can do it without without words. But I'm saying words. You can't beat words when it comes to storytelling. You can't beat words. Yes, mm-hmm. you can. Yes, you can have instrumental. But if I, you know, stack um, uh, to Salon's point, a Marvin song up there, and Marvin was not a complicated songwriter. Um, it's not about the complexity of the words. This is about the, the narrative, the storytelling. And again, I'm biased. You know, I'm coming from a writer's point of view. But I don't think in the context of slow songs and what really moves people, you can replace the lyrics and the ability to give the singer to vocalize those lyrics. Isaac, you're a well-traveled guy, right? You're a well-traveled brother. I've been a few places. Been a few places. And, you know, you, you, you've known a few ladies too, right? Absolutely not. Some of- I reject <laughs> the implication <laughs> that you <laughs> All right, Aziz. I'm, and I'm saying I you, reject, you... I reject what I you're know, trying to- <laughs> No, Isaac, I know that you have met, and I know you've been other places, and I know you're a cool cat, and I know you've come across women who you don't speak the same language as. But has that stopped you from making your connection? Has that stopped you from feeling that same passion? If you if you met an Italian woman tomorrow, and I know this because we've spoken about it, who didn't speak English, but something about her hit you between the eyes. Google Translate. You would you know you <laughs> <laughs> But no, it's just I know almost like, going, but go ahead. I, I, my look at that is like going to a church, and oh, the the soul, the organ hit me. The wow, I really feel inspired. This man spoke for an hour and a half. Now I'm gonna give him some money. But what did he say? Like, if you didn't understand what he said, then he could have been telling you that you know mm-hmm. the sky is purple. The sea water is orange And you're a fool right. But thank you And you just roll with it So it's kind of like What are you subscribing to And then where your level of consciousness is Of course the mood of someone Could actually make you feel wooed over But they could be telling you All the wrong stuff So it depends on where your consciousness is With the music Are you just being emotionally moved Or are you also being You know Or the lyrics actually doing something else And that's all I'm saying Like when we look at our classic artists for all time mm-hmm. it's a lyrical thing that's moved them along and there's no other way around it and even with the aspect of jazz being the music of the time when it was miles was mm-hmm. also not just a section of music the miles was the music for the young people at the time it was mm-hmm. the hip-hop it was the rebellion it was everything else was happening so it's a bit different to now compare it in a way we say, okay, cool, Coltrane and Miles and different instrumentals are there. That that's, is always going to be what it is. They can be a very melodic melody. Great. Because once again, Voodoo is full of melodic melodies and movement. But I'm not taking anything away from the album because it's classic and what it is, it's what it is. But I'm just saying that's just for me personally, having to separate, you know, when the same exact work that I put in got me a dollar to when they got me a million dollars, it was mm-hmm. the lyrics. I don't know about the sales of brown sugar and voodoo. Did brown sugar sell more than voodoo? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Even, even more look, than that, what I would say up. is that if it didn't sell more, I mean, think about it. Uh-huh. The, the biggest song on the album is called Untitled. 
Right. <laughs> All right. So just yeah, but just, you and I would call it untitled because you know we because you got to find it by calling it untitled. Most people, you know no, no, most people would call it. How does it feel? I was just making a point that you don't know what he said on ninety percent of the album, but you can get ahead. No, <laughs> you can get ahead and run with it. You can run with it. I've done this a thousand times when I'm trying to convince the artist why they're not going to make me do all the work as a producer and think they're going to mumble and then walk out of here like nah B you're going to say something but I could turn it down if I don't like Voodoo, it but you have to do how it how did Voodoo strike the chord because we wanted it that it did because we it followed it, brown and it was sugar, great dude. music point, and it was it was the next level spanish joint everything about it is the next level right. of music it was great art it is still to this day some of d'angelo's best work it does not stop but my point in saying it is just that when you look at d'angelo's body of work now compared mm-hmm. to a quarter of stevie stevie wonder's body of work a quarter mm-hmm. of marvin gaye's body of work it's in a different space when mm-hmm. i put the osley brothers love songs together just to slow jams from 71 or whatever it is mm-hmm. to between the sheets and then throwing choosy lover and a couple other ones mm-hmm. i'm still saying when i put that body of work next to this other body of work there's still great music there but there's something else that kicks in but once again that's that's you know all of our opinions of soul songs i don't even want to get into it and say well this one's on and this one's off it's just when we look at the, of all time the greatest thing like I stopped putting my pictures on Instagram. I just put music. Why? Because I'm just like a great story, a great baseline, and a dope voice with a good melody, and that's going to last. And that's where I've been able to find resonance when I look back and resonance when I look forward. But once again, I, I listen to a standard of standards. I know I, I've been blessed to be in a room when I felt like some people wrote standards for their generations and if you're writing a song we you know i don't like to talk but i like to get my point across if i didn't get my point across then why do i talk i could have stayed in my bed and shut up you know what i'm saying you know if what's a joke if you don't laugh all right well cool then what's the love song if you don't feel this love if i didn't get it to but who's it? doing is anybody doing that now i mean is anybody making slow well first slow jam to me is a is a is a song constructed to get you to dance like get you on the floor a slow, slow close all that oh so, so that's, that's song, slow jam is a you know a always and forever lane is that's what you're saying in that space always and forever um uh make it last forever um see that's untitled a, that's a slow song to me untitled is a is not a get on the di- floor get on the dance it's it's a go to the bedroom song to me yeah to me jam is bad Slow song is dance. See, you dancing before you, after, no. you Took us 45 minutes to get there, but agree. That, yeah, okay. that, that would have worked in the you know, early 70s or 60s, maybe when it wasn't there, but you know, when it got more to the point, it was like, oh, we're jamming, you know. Mm, right. But I'm saying, who's doing that now? Weekend? Mm, he, the closest he Chris? got was when he decided to speak clearly on uh, Earned It. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and that was prior to that. You was that, that was probably his biggest hit, right? Mm, I think some of the other ones might have done better numbers, but it definitely mm-hmm. crossed him over into the space where, oh, you're gonna make real songs. Oh, dope. Not necessarily <laughs> stuff for when you're high at night. You know what I'm saying? Which is right. what he had for the three previous projects. They were really dope emo. emo like I said, I, I can imagine mm-hmm. if I was high and you know. Eating some funny balloon or whatever the hell they do in some weird space, and I hear, oh, no. 
and then the bass comes on. That's what the weakest music did, but earned it was a standard. You know, he said, well, "Girl, you're perfect." And then that thing. it was like Total almost story, like he dumbed yeah. it down, but he allowed himself to do it. Then he made him a record with Max Martin, and you know, I mm-hmm. can't feel my face when I'm with you. That was cool, but it didn't do as well as you know when I'm drunk. That's the real me, or when I'm high, that's the real me, which spoke more to his audience, and you know was a little bit more trap. But that actually was more romantic than some of the other stuff that he done for his audience. I bet a lot of people would say that Frank Ocean is doing it. For me. For me, I actually like emo, um, Nostalgia Ultra better than all the other stuff. You know, I still oh, listen man. to that. Dude, you 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 saying everything I've said for years on this show. I, I think for, for me, the the even when he dealt with the you know the American Wedding on that song and all that stuff, it just took me somewhere different, and I felt like it was more about the lyrics because he was borrowing someone else's music. Sometimes when you take someone else's track, you have to say something good. Because how are you going to get away with just taking it and mumbling along through it? But I just feel like song-wise, not everybody's finishing mm-hmm. their homework. And Frank mm-hmm. has the potential to do better. And I think that's when we get frustrated, when we know that people could have, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, if we get right, a whole right. Beyonce album and you can get everybody on the whole planet on your whole record. And you got more studio time, more money than anybody else anywhere near you. And then I play this for 15, 40, 44 minutes. And I'm going, eh. All right, then... Then I f- I'm really disappointed Man, because you, you didn't give me what salam, you could. I'll be joining. I actually right have chickenandwafflesbaptistchurch.com <laughs> and chickenandwafflesbaptist.church. We're going to uh, play slow jams <laughs> and talk that talk on Sunday mornings from here going forward. And afterwards, you know, we, we chill out. Amen. <laughs> um, as a listener uh, on, uh, on Amy's Back to Black, I think, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm no good. Just friends and love is a losing game. I classify all three of those as love songs. Even, even, even. You know, I'm no good because what she, what I'm hearing is her saying, "I'm a wreck. I'm deserving of love, but I'm letting you know up front, I don't have it all together." Mm, if you still want me, so if, right. right. So if we're going to move forward in this, right. it's on you. Right. Unholy War would probably next to Love Is a Losing Game be the other picture mm, mm-hmm. in the heart song. Now Frank, but I mean, those songs were a little more direct. But Arthur, you still are, you're still conf- not confusing me. But you're still casting your net very wide. I think with I, the term love songs. But I think you have to. That's. But I'm saying. I, I, we, think, but I think we. To. I think though on this so far, I think we've gotten to a place where it's like we know that to Jahan's earlier point. Yeah, ninety percent of music is love songs. But there's that other category of slow songs and slow jams, and I think that that to me is what separates theirs. I think damn near every artist can make a love song mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying I, I mm-hmm. think they've all made love songs and many of them made very good love songs but I just think it's a subcategory of a, when you start saying okay who can make slow jams who can make who can make slow songs now you've whittled that list down significantly right. then you say who can make slow jams now you've brought that list down to you know very few in my opinion mm-hmm. so Amy was one of the few that could do everything you know what I'm saying fast songs love songs slow songs slow jams um, whether you're talking about breaking up, making love, making up, whatever, she was one of the few that could do everything. But I just think that's so few and far between. Mm-hmm. That's why they stand out so much mm-hmm. to us. From a formula standpoint, I think R. Kelly's damn near the master of the formula of the slow song slash slow jam. Here we go. Well, I mean, you at his at his at but his peak at his peak, in terms you know, of the nutritional value, 
Well, it's let's let's well let's let's not get too let's let's bring this let's let's keep it real. Let's not get um too elitist on here. From a <laughs> at his peak title he was, of the show, he was speaking about <laughs> I know yeah, but you can be snobbish without being elitist. At least I think so. Um, at his peak, he was speaking about love and slow songs and slow jams in language that a lot of people speak in. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't they don't necessarily they're not at Amy's level. You know, some of Amy's songs. The lyrically would just intrigue me because it was like poetry. It's like stuff I wanted to actually investigate and see what what does she mean by that, or what does that line really mean, or how many ways can I um, interpret that line? Whereas a lot of R. Kelly stuff is like, no, here's what it is, blank right there, boom. That's what I mean. There's no other interpretations you need to do with that. And a lot of people speak about love in that way. So I think that we shouldn't be elitist in the sense of saying, well, no, he wasn't complex enough. Because really, like I said before, Marvin was not a complex singer, not a complex writer, I should say. Um, and many, I, I want you the way I think Marvin's power was that his simplicity became so powerful. That line that Salam mentioned earlier, I want you, but I want you to want me too. Mm-hmm. There's a complexity in that that it's like, no, I don't. I want you, but it's more important to me. I'm yearning for you to want me the same way that I want you. That's a deep statement. Yes, That's, it is. That speaks to a, you know, they say I forgot who who it was that said it. Every poet must every poet must have an unrequited love. That's true. I believe that, and that speaks to that that um, sense of lack, that sense of need that you really, even though you're you're with this person, you're always wondering if they want you the same way that you want them. Mm-hmm. And Marvin was able to you know to make those um, to bring those analogies to life in a way that I don't think anybody else could. So I, I don't think. You know, great slow songs or great slow slow jams depend upon the complexity of the lyric or the the groove or even the mu- you know the the, the music structure. Um, I think it's about feeling, and that's why I said you you were saying magic earlier, and I agree with that. You, the use of that term. The problem is that it's unquantifiable. You, there's no formula right. for magic. Right. True, but it's different for everybody, right? I mean, what strikes a chord with you is going to be different to what strikes a chord with me. I'm assuming that we're not talking about this strictly in a commercial setting, right? We are talking about making a connection, a personal connection with someone. So I personally could never give R. Kelly the benchmark um, for slow jams and love songs, like not even in the 90s. If, you know, if I Mm -hmm. back then I would have said Jodeci and Devante Swing. So stuff like come and talk to me forever, my lady stay. I I think that's way above R. Kelly to me. with With R. Kelly, in my opinion, I mean, I always looked at it like. You know, Teddy Riley did the New Jack Swing thing. He bought the mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder Moog bass uh, keys in the middle. You know, Charlie Wilson as vocals back to a certain way mm-hmm. in his slow jam side of New Jack Swing, etc. You know, the formula that R. Kelly was born into with you know public announcement into everything else was pretty much a Teddy Riley formula. The formula mm-hmm. that the Untouchables took into flipping around into Bad Boys, Hitman sound everything else was pretty much the Teddy Riley formula in a lot of ways um, but then and from my viewpoint I always looked at it because of the amount of material that R. Kelly put out out of every album that he did there might be two songs it was like oh wow you went there on I Wish or When a Woman's Fed Up or different parts of it it wouldn't be necessarily mm-hmm. the overall movement because he was obviously um there for the BS where other people were like you know what I'm not into all of this you're kind of going over my head with the remind me of my jeep but you could say your body's calling hit the Ozzy 
groove in a way that hadn't been heard before or a slow bump and grind. So he gave you a song or two. But my point is that R. Kelly's probably 10 albums in the 90s compared to Jodeci's two and a half three. or three. Yeah. Um, and, and the amount that he actually put out I've, I've always said that R. Kelly and Timbaland kept R&B moving forward in the 90s when the other people who were great prior to that maybe had slowed down Babyface did some stuff Tim and Bob other people had other records but I just looked at it as his amount of material at least kept it going forward where you could say wow there's a bankable R&B space and during that time just for what it was because he would just kept coming up with something new and every time you're like ah, I'm sick of you then he would find a song or two just to be like oh you tried it you know all the way up to Trapped in the Closet not that I looked at it as he was the best ever but I was just saying his output was serious enough for us to be able to say okay cool well you put out 200 songs because realistically R. Kelly does shows now and he can really hit you with 45 minutes of hooks and then you would be like oh I forgot about that one yeah, and I respect that for what it is, but I think these are almost two different conversations. There's no doubt that R. Kelly has a huge stack of commercial hits, but it's not soulful to me the way that Jodeci's is. Like, I would take one Jodeci slow jam over R. Kelly's whole catalogue because his stuff doesn't speak to me the way that theirs does. Like, your body's calling, uh, bump and grind, ignition, fiesta, they don't, Half on a baby. They don't speak to me at all. You guys, I feel, I feel, I feel like you guys have listened to the top, to the Billboard. R. Kelly is like, I don't know if you guys ever listened to the albums. I mean, except for Salam, I think Arthur, you and Jahan really haven't, you know, given. God, I hate saying this. I hate, I hate being an R. Kelly defender on the show. Well, but it's like y'all, y'all, like you mentioned <laughs> in the hits. Have you heard Religious Love? You know what I'm saying? Have you listened no. to that song? You know, these, you know, he was capable of a not only of the lyric but the articulation of the lyric that's that's you know really no one else of that era was able to hit at that point in time except for maybe a, a casey um and his consistency you know to be able to do that to salon's point the brother was concerned about his commercial market all the time he was you know for every i wish he would do like 10 songs that you like do these are nowhere near that level of musicianship or, or, or singing or whatever else but when he did take it seriously and decide to do an i wish could nobody else do that? Who else was going to make that song other than him in that that time period? You know, it's he, like he the was Prince on a pulse. He Prince, was in the Drake space. The you know the same amount of time that Drake has put into being on the charts. I look back and I go, eh, I'm not into everything. But guess what? One out of three songs, he he drops like four songs, and I go, oh, that one, that one was special. You know, you drop a whole album. Views, I'm not crazy about, but the other albums, you have a lot of songs I like. So it's kind of like I think with most people that end up being in the commercial spaces there differently but basically I understand what Jahan's saying as far as what he likes and what actually meant something to him because I still feel like we're missing a Jodeci voice we have no one that can stack harmonies that way that can right. take me all the way to give me church emotion on top of mm-hmm. secular music at mm-hmm. this given point we're missing all of that but it's also the fact that the Avante also had the ability to do it and you know other things got the best of him to where we just didn't get the output that was able to make Devante into being the next Teddy Riley or to being the Timbaland and everything else so now when I listen back to the second Jodeci album, I hear all the Timbaland in it that I didn't know was there mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Even though Timbaland was a baby, but I hear all his drum sounds and his mm-hmm. movement and everything else. And yes, when Missy and um, Tim got together and they did one in a million for Leah. 
wow, okay, that hit a moment differently from what R. Kelly had done with Aaliyah. They hit a moment sonically, they hit a moment lyrically, and it did something else to now make me say, okay, Aaliyah sounds like she lives on ice crystals somewhere, and it's just floating <laughs> and it's doing its own thing. It gave me a bit of a Janet Jackson moment in those slow jams that I love from Janet. Never that I could say mm. that Janet was the vocalist that I want to hear acapella that's going to hit those harmonies, it's going to be that, but it's going to always be something that's consistent in a certain type of space so i feel like you know the the taste aspect of you know everyone has their own thing you know we got into an ipod uh space where everybody in the car has ipods on and their headphones and going in different ways you know now anyone that has kids know that you will have four kids in the room who won't look up at the tv or want to put it on there but they will watch <laughs> netflix on their phone and kind of look down and everybody has their taste you know if we're all going to pick a favorite frank ocean song cool you know i ask people all the time what's your favorite stevie wonder song really just because i'm mm-hmm. trying to figure out who are you <laughs> you know do you even yeah, know any yeah. stevie wonder songs and can you do it then i have a super stevie wonder playlist that i play on vacation when it's over it's time to go home i'm probably too dark or too tired or i'm gonna overdo it and it's not it but once again everybody has their other space you know this morning i was driving from a farmer's market and listening to donnie hathaway's uh lord help me about five times i didn't play my mm. james cleveland today but i played that and i kind of felt a different way and i'm like dang if i had more donnie then could i really compare him to stevie the way i want to but then you know amy would argue you down but donnie is different i love stevie i love marvin but donnie gave me that other thing and that's kind of like what i'm hearing from Jahan. i like something about this so it hits me a different way so i appreciate it in a different way whether it's d'angelo whether it's Donnie Hathaway, whether it's Jodeci's, different space. So all of it's saying it's a community. It's, it's good to have all the different aspects. But, you know, I love it when we can continue to do it. And then back to Arthur's point, who's doing it now? Good ass question. Is Adorn one of the last songs that kind of hit a pocket of jam, up tempo, you know, a sexual hailing ish bounce around, but then still, you know, Everybody knows the ad-libs all the way to the end. Um, out of the new talent, I just feel like they have to finish their homework. Everybody's just mm-hmm. you know, stepping off of the song too early because it's like, nah, but this is how I feel. And it's just like, well, you're talking to yourself. It's almost like I feel like, you know, it's just the street ballers trying to go to the NBA. Well, NBA for now, for a season or two, or for this long game? Do you have a career or do you just have a little game for now? Do you have a job? Like, where are you with it? You know, hey, we pop it right now. Look, everybody's here. And now you can sell out a 5,000 seater. You know, Bryson Tiller. I love Trap Soul. You know, I like Forever How Long on there more than most of the stuff on it. But then his second album, I couldn't focus long enough to get into a song the way that I wanted to. So you know what? I, I get it now, Salam. You're talking about anthems, I think. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, could Mary J. Blige qualify as mm-hmm. much as R. Kelly? Me and me... N- Isaac and I are making faces. Yeah, but she's got yeah, hits. Yeah, well, hits, but it's... I mean, my life my life is a seminal album. I mean, it's, you can't... I, you'll never hear me say anything bad about that album, but... Right. In terms, back to Salam's point, in terms of consistency, because it seems like after my life, I think maybe uh, maybe two albums after that, she kept telling the same story repeatedly for like the next 10 or like 10 albums. Um, so I don't I don't know. I mean, when you say give her the crown over over uh, R. Kelly, in what, in what, t- in what sense? Honestly, I'm just trying to work within you guys' definitions here. But Mary is very successful. She's got a lot of hits and she speaks to and touched a lot of people, certainly 
in you know 90s and 2000s she really resonated with her crowd and i think she's got an authenticity that r kelly i i've never felt from him even objectively speaking like when mary's singing you you feel that like it's like she has lived it there's no question there's not is no it's not a case of someone having written the song for her these are her songs and her voice and you know she's even just like vocally she's so raw with it you really feel that passion and you know melancholy and you know all the stuff that we were talking about so did mary did mary yearn as much as as as, as some of these other artists that we're talking about jay in your opinion does she does she articulate the yearning because we're talking about the, the the we're talking about the slow song and the slow jam yeah absolutely mary j blige is far from my personal preferred choice in this area but in terms of yearning yeah she she knocks that out of the park i mean she has i appreciate that these are cliche terms but she has a rawness and an honesty to her resonance and her timbre that very very few artists have in their voice um, i agree with that particularly modern current mm-hmm. artists mm-hmm. no I, I agree with you that like, i think that one, yeah. if mary sang a shopping list you'd feel the yearning you'd feel that she was yearning for some tomatoes she was yearning for bread she was yearning for eggs she's she's nailed desperation i think in a vocal sound that that few artists i think have so salam you disagree what i would say with that i mean as far as mary going far yeah she made a record you know off of being in the jets with uh elton john and different stuff like that but she hasn't made a i believe i can fly nah but is that a um, she's she hasn't gone anywhere near that she hasn't made a record that actually um mary's output is great and mary is who she is but i think kind of what i would recognize this in part of this conversation as being is like when i'm working with someone i always look at you have your actual voice and then you have a lyrical voice and what you represent so if i'm thinking about what nas represents you don't necessarily want to hear Nas saying that he owns Bitcoin from the beginning or he owns 20 <laughs> restaurants because that's not his lyrical voice and what you respect from him. But mm, just the same way I'm bored listening to Jay-Z, you know, saying that he's now, oh, I respect you and I wouldn't disrespect my daughter. But you found that at 48 where other people were more mature and found it at 28. So, you know, it's just like a, an aspect where when you look at all these different parts you know is what do you expect from the person and what their lyrical voice is and what i'm hearing from john basically is just that you're not r kelly fan so no matter what he says you weren't going to hear it the same way because he represents what you're not about yeah um you know the game for instance i hear everything the game says i think he's really clear as a rapper but most of his conversation is about a space that i don't live in you know so i don't live in that space so i don't necessarily get it that's also you know it's, it's a question of what you're getting and who you're getting it from that actually kicks in sometimes right yeah it's, it's, that's right. not there so I think it's just a balance of having someone's right. lyrical voice and what they represent as well as their voice and the music they've put out it's a combination of all that Arthur right. you started to, to ask a well I think it was an interesting question about the selfie generation oh yeah are they capable of this this level of love songs that maybe we've moved into self-love being at the forefront and i'm thinking about scissors control and i'm also thinking about solange mm-hmm. women are beginning to sing ultimately they're beginning to sing about themselves you know and they have other women getting right into their own feelings also 
connecting directly with what it is that they're talking about. I mean, my only thing with that whole space, and this is just a life reflecting in music and music reflecting in life. And, you know, I've unfollowed hundreds of people on social media in the last few weeks because I realized I don't need to see what they think every day when they look in the mirror. <laughs> um, you know, I'm stop the mirror, mirror. I was wondering why you unfollowed me. From the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, somebody said that, I'm sure. But anyhow, so I was just like, what is happening? I think that the whole idea of someone being told that they're a king or a queen before they are potty trained or before they've actually done certain work, you know, to have a daily affirmation of I'm great. I'm doing everything we need to do. We are in that space in that time. But there's also some people that need to work on themselves as I need to work on myself that need to recognize that and maybe not in a public forum. So the generation of the Solange and the scissors and them feeling like they're actually stepping forward and this is the year of the woman and I need to appreciate it also needs to be followed with the I got a couple of shortcomings that I need to work on and please don't give me my glory before I've earned it. And that's going to be the Isn't that part of what Amy's message was? Which part of her message? The last bit that you said about don't give me all these accolades just yet because I still got a ways to go. Oh, she would say it. Yeah. Not necessarily lyrically in songs, but yeah, she would say that. All right. Her, her thing was just like, you know what? It's going to be good, but, you know, I, I want to, you, you like it because it's good. Okay. You like my hair? Cool. But it was just more, more or less, I'm still living it. Where does vulnerability, where does it fit into in this, this, you know, this era or this, um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the mode of the love song or the, the slow song. I think that vulnerability is something that has to be present in a slow song. The ability to look weak or to be perceived as weak. Yeah. And can can artists now do that and particularly can female artists do that? I think I think female artists are better suited to do it just from the nature of the woman nature of the female. But aren't they pressured in two thousand eighteen to look Unweak to look strong and to look. Oh, uh, that, that's never changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's always been. You don't think in the past there was more room for them to be weak? You see what I'm saying? Because like now it's like in what to, way though? Because I mean, like okay, so I mean, so I so I have I have something to say here. So the same okay. way that Jahan would look at the different things, I personally prefer the song "Cranes in the Sky" over the entire Lemonade album. Thank you. And probably most of the most mm-hmm. of Thank the you. Beyonce album outside <laughs> of Rocket. I actually appreciate Drunken Love for what it is because I felt like it, it pulled together a moment for what that said. But the song itself, Cranes in the Sky, the one song I prefer yeah. over four four four. Me personally, mm-hmm. I felt mm-hmm. like um, it was a push on that song. Now there are other songs on Solange's album that did it, but then back to what people really want you know Solange's album was you know they put out the Little Wayne album at Thursday at 12 and then the album came out Friday it was kind of like a one two thing similar to D'Angelo's last release and it did probably 60,000 or some decent number but it was that the people appreciated it because we are still a set of people that are looking for something to get into and the fact that it was a body of work now was every song on there perfect you know that's like saying, can I go and eat at the same restaurant every day with the same set of people? I'm in there and I get it, but I'm not totally buying into the over over the top self-love and everything is, you know, like I said, social media break. I need it <laughs> because by the time the 300 women that I know tell me that they're all great and this guy better this and that. But all right, cool. 
Don't touch your hair. I get it. Yeah, all right. Somebody gonna mm-hmm. touch your hair. They're like, nobody touched my hair in a long time. I'm mad. You know what I'm saying? You're gonna get back to that point at some point. But I think that um you know, yeah, when you said is a woman allowed to be weak? Yeah, I'm thinking black girl with nineties girl. Like I was just taking it back and thinking through it. Mm. But I'm like, but who's gonna make weak in the knees now? Yes, it's, it's damn near a church song now. I think there's some churches they sing mm-hmm. Weak in the Knees as a solo mm-hmm. and get away with it. But at this point, who's going to make I'm so weak in the knees I can hardly speak? Because that's not where the culture is now. The culture is don't be weak for this man and think you're going to get away with it. Be this strong woman and this where it's at. Now, on the flip side, the vulnerability on the male side, yes, Drake... Um, played on his vulnerability in certain aspects and made that part of his voice almost to the point where I felt like Drake's part of his um, lyrical space and part of his lyrical voice is to put words in your mouth so when he says started from the bottom now we here I'm not thinking about him and his friends in Toronto I'm thinking about me and my friends that came from the bottom and now we're like yeah we here and they not here no more so he put words in my mouth but when he sang the song that Kanye wrote for Rihanna and started with the I'm more than just an option, what man looks around and says to a woman or women, I'm more than just an option? Hey, hey, hey. He was singing it for the woman to actually repeat him and sing it along with him. So I think that um, I'm trying to find the wrong. I was trying to think of one song where it was really like the male was really being vulnerable but I can't think of one that actually has been really out there in a long time outside of uh, Prince the feeling of a D'Angelo you know the falsetto singer that you know the the idea of a male singing in the, you know with your permission you know the Road James space or whatever it may be the the idea of a man not necessarily singing with a lot of bass in his voice as there aren't been haven't been many vocalists with a lot of bass it's also making the woman feel like yeah he's going to be gentle enough for me to allow this to go down or to, for me to be attracted to it in the Maxwell way you know what I'm saying not necessarily by needing to say it just in you know the fragility of what the the vocal you know I like Jeremiah's voice I like his wee song I like his you know his shit talk on planes but it also feels like he's not a threat in a certain way um so i felt like mm-hmm. what's happened is the low voices have gone to hip-hop and turned into future the high voices have become r&b standard because it doesn't seem aggressive and necessarily predatory in some type of way even if the lyrics were such and then the females have taken a cultural stance as if Yes, I'm going to be this. Not like I'm going to be there for you and I'm going to support you. And, you know, the the, the roles have switched a bit, basically. There, there, there are a lot of people that are writing for the hit and writing to say what's popular more than writing what they feel. Not many people mm. say or act on what they actually feel in the artistic space at this point. They say what they think people want to say so that they can get some light for it. Um in, in at least with the commercial space. Does it have to be a, super, a known superstar to be able to say that it's okay? I mean, like, for example, take four, four, uh, 444, right? And that's not, to me, that's not Jay-Z being vulnerable. That's Jay-Z being apologetic and trying to atone. But he's making it okay for somebody to come behind him and, you know, make, I don't know, you know, make, make a conciliatory album because he 
diss the mother of his child or something like that. Yeah, because he's but, been uh, bad. But otherwise, he he's was been just, mommy. You, you know, got to ride nice dick his whole career. That, that was his huh? whole thing. Mommy, you got to ride nice, nice dick, and I'm not giving you shit. His tone up to his last album was, you know, fuck with me, you know I got it, and you got to give me something good, and you ain't getting shit. That was always his voice, you know. And when anybody else was like, oh, well, that's cool. You know, it was like, I disrespect you, your baby mother, your daughter, anything else. That was always his conversation. His conversation was big pimping from the jump, from first album. Ain't no nigga, right. you know what I'm saying? All the way up to his last singles of his last album. If you listen to it lyrically, even on Empire State of Mind, it's not necessarily saying that. He just got to a different point and they utilized, you know, the Donnie Hathaways and the Nina Simones and everything to create a different palette because it almost was a therapeutic thing, which once again, as a 48 year old vegan, different from a 22 year old crystal drinker or 26 mm-hmm. or whatever he was at that time this is a growth as a human which is now being reflected which is des- definitely necessary and it should reflect hopefully some of his audience because the 50 year old guy with the Yankee hat with the Tims who's talking about fuck that bitch like that's not necessarily mm-hmm. who I don't I hope you know I feel sad when I see it like that you ain't grow up yet damn alright cool I'll see you later though I'm good to see you Peace. Like that's that's not necessarily the energy. So I, I feel like it's there. But once again, when our stars come back with something good, like is Justin Simberlake going to make a Crimea River? Crimea River at the time was really good. Is he going to make another Gone? At the time when he made Gone with In Sync, it was better than the Jagged Edge records that were out. So what can I say? It was a very well put together song. Crimea River hit a mark that it needed to hit at that time and help open up Timberlake, you know, open up Timberland to that other space because of the way it came across. Yes, Pharrell writes nice songs, but Pharrell also needs a voice and a person that can carry it to where it needs to go. So I just think it's all a balance of both Pharrell making happy, but then he wrote it for CeeLo. CeeLo didn't do it, but then CeeLo is an eclectic character, you know, but then I love Crazy by CeeLo and it's who do you, who do you think you are? But then he'll wear a wedding dress and lipstick on a cover. And so it's like the right to be different, the right to be out there. You know, sometimes I feel like people are um, changing their persona by using the songs, but the songs are just being used as a tool to the persona, not necessarily as the great art of the song by itself being that strong. Well, Chance Chance the rapper Chance vulnerable <laughs> Chance ain't making slow jams though Stay yeah. on topic Arthur <laughs> I mean you said Chance John, what were you To about be to very say? honest A thousand percent I listen But it hasn't gotten to me yet You know he was at the Grammys With the whole gospel choir And rapping But I still didn't hear that record That made me go Ooh You know what You're special yeah. Because you got your point across In a way that everybody gets it Because that's still part yeah. of the art Of making a record to me a couple minutes. Do you feel this emotion? Is it captured? You know, Stevie Wonder's mm-hmm. vision or love is a losing game, whichever way it goes. If it's that, then you will hear it many years later and go, I might not agree, but I get your point. I agree. But Arthur, in the context of this show, I think, you know, Chance is not making slow songs, slow jams, you know, at all that I know of. You know, it's it's interesting when you talk about um, a while ago, we were talking about, uh, and I think Salam touched on it as far as the authenticity of the the artists themselves. It's like I, I, you know, Lady in My Life is like one of my favorite slow songs, slow jams of all time. But Mike never convinced me. And to me, he's the superior singer, but he never convinced me of his intentions during a slow song or slow jam the way Prince did. Never. 
you know it's like when mike was seeing a lady in my life it was almost like i i viewed it as a song a pretty song and it just i kept it in the space of a song mm-hmm. whereas with the prince jams that became bigger than the song go on talk some more about that i think it was the authenticity artist prince struck me as mm-hmm. someone who was more um urgent in that space of romantic love that mike mike never struck See, me as someone in in the romantic love space how, how much he this- in fact in fact in fact he struck me and this is going to sound really messed up he sang more he articulated romantic love better to me when he was younger when he was like a kid you know when he was singing those songs never with can his say brother. goodbye yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. that that shit was like how old is this dude you yeah. know what i'm saying but it's like as he got older he seemed more peter pan to me and it's like i couldn't even though like i said lady in my life is one of my favorite slow jams of all time i never accepted him at the level that i would accept prince when prince sang a door yeah again i think it just depends what's important to you but i would half agree with you on lady in my life i think the first half is a pretty ballad but uh, that second half where it breaks down and he just says stay with me I want you to stay with me and rides that beat out with those words over and over again variations of it just begging begging on those words and that's like for two minutes of the rest of the song I mean I, I don't think it gets more begging than that and I feel his yearning there as much as I feel with any classic Prince Slow Jam as much as forever in my life or adore or how come you don't call me anymore or any of those tunes i agree but i attributed that more to michael's skill as a singer rather than his life experience but you, you know believe what I'm saying? Him, he just, right? you believe there's nothing I, about i believe him I, it's hard man i believe him as a as a it's like in those because i know exactly what you're talking about when he gets to the part where he's like you know stay with me stay with me it's right. like oh man it's like i feel that in my bones you know what i'm saying it's like I, that's it's, it's unbelievable the way, how he articulates that but to me it's like that's more about his his skill as a singer rather than when a marvin goes in that that place it's like it wrecks me okay let's go two for two two for two i can't help it michael jackson you still don't find that convincing or authentic see that's and that's the problem happening is that i'm not saying mike is not convincing mike is convincing i'm just saying that to me that's more attributed to his skill as a singer which was stratospheric and probably, you know, who else is going to, you know, in the pop vein, nobody else touched right. that, in my, in my opinion. When it comes to pop music, nobody else touched that vocally. So I can't help it. Again, there's that yearning and that urgency to a fast song, a, a fast track where he brought, you know, how many other singers could bring mid- that? Yeah. How many other singers could bring that sense of right. yearning to that level, to that type of track? That's more of a slow jam, slow jam to me than uh, uh, what I say the chick tried to get me to put on her slow jam. Uh, Question, question to you. Question to you. I'll give you that. I mean, yeah. it is lyrically. You know. Yeah. I'm like Salam. I'm all about the lyrics. Yeah. I mean, we could debate on the lyrical content of that song. I, you're not wrong, but that's something else. How, how is question of you? Okay. Oh, well, we got time. Salam said he sent somebody to go get some food. We got time. <laughs> Let's get into this. We can cut it out if you want to. Question of you. How the hell is that a slow jam or a slow song? It's about him looking at himself, wondering where he's going to go. Should I get up? Should I fall? Should I stand? You know, looking at the mirror. You know, He's, I mean, the song. What do the I song need, is perfect. What do I need to do to appeal to your affection? No, 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 hell no. He's not talking about anybody else but himself, though. 
what can even, I even do? In, even in the context of talking about the girl, he's talking about himself. What can I do? She's irrelevant in this to, conversation. Uh, <laughs> no, she's the catalyst. <laughs> she may be the catalyst, but she's not the end result. The end result is him reckoning with himself. But love songs don't have to be all of the questions. I in my, want you. All of the questions in my life. They don't have to be. All of the questions I in want. my life will be answered when I decide uh, which way. What is it, John? Which way to go? That's the end result of that song. It's about him. Yeah, you're right. She may be the catalyst to get him to look at himself. But the end result of that song is him deciding what he wants to do for himself. No, man. The unspoken second verse is that guitar solo. Okay, but isn't it pretty simple? Doesn't it just hinge on who the you is in the title? The you being the you being him. No, the girl. The you is the girl. No, no. no. The you, the you and Salam, back me up on this because I know we've been you've been you've been right here with me on everything. So don't no, leave, don't, Salam, don't, don't fail me now. You. Don't don't the feel you pressure, in that bro. conversation. Don't let him bully you. The you the you in that conversation. The question of you. What is the answer to the question of you? Is not the question of the other person. It's who the talks question about of themselves you. in the third Inter- person. Prince. <laughs> it's a poetic sentiment. It's not the question of the th- the other person. What is the answer to the question of you? Meaning, John, what's the answer to the question of you? Isaac, what's the question of the answer to you? Of you? It's an internal conversation. How you y'all been listening to Prince all these years and you don't get him? <laughs> don't be mad just because I'm on this other level. <laughs> First, first we had Irresistible Bitch. You don't think that's a rap song. Now well, I, agree, about- I agree with you. That's a rap song. <laughs> Just don't be upset with me because I've ascended. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. I mean, you, where you started with is was it not that fit, fit into the slow jam tape and you uh, deleted that and then let that happen? I get it. I get why you said it, but then it also depends on what your playlist is like. You know, sometimes it's just that thing that goes in there. Because if she likes it, then it's actually moving the slow jam purpose along. <laughs> you know, I mean, I didn't say I deleted it. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but if you really like it, we're gonna play it real quick. Yeah, I start. I right. stopped feeling yeah. after that. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, cool. Did you in a, in, a, in a metaphorical sense? <laughs> All right, we getting a little too personal here. Listen, I, I get it. But it's also, I feel like it was written in a way where it's take it how you want to take it. Yeah, I think that was intentional. I disagree. I think this is one of the few songs that Prince was very literal about. There's no romance in here at all. There's no romantic love in this, this song at all. I mean, but it is and it isn't because it's basically like, well, are we going to go further or are we not going to go further? So the question is whether or not it's us or whether it's me and you separately. So the question of you is like I'm me already. Is it, is it me and you? Yeah, nah, I don't get that at all. All right, well you can take your ball and go home. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna finish this out, <laughs> Prince. If you're listening somewhere, I get it. <laughs> These other brothers, I don't know what they on. I get it. Thank you for that song. <laughs> all right, you want to move to the round table? The goat breakup song. What is your greatest of all time breakup song? I do not want to go first. <laughs> uh, I'll go first. Unless Salam, do you want to go first? I'll go. Marvin Gaye, where did you stop loving me? When did you stop loving me? Woo! When did I stop loving you? That's mm. that's my song right there. I think we might be related, Salam. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. We need to talk after the show. There might be some family relations. Mm-hmm. But that, that song on the Hear My Dear album, man, I listen to that and I'm just be like, God. Damn, that's everything I'm never gonna do. 
I use that song to actually show uh, artists like people how to write. Like you know, even like Rico Love. The first time I did a session with him, I was like, "Yo, listen to this." Like I need people to understand that if you were even mad and gonna break up, there are more than a thousand ways to articulate that. And if you're really in that situation, you know, you can do it as creatively, meta- melodically. You know, the hook doesn't come on to the end of the song. It's really just yeah. it's a stream of consciousness, but it says everything. And then my run up to that is where I want to be, Donnell Jones, because I actually have used that as a mantra to life, unfortunately, in a get out of jail free card out of any situation. You know, I really like you. I think I should leave before I fuck this up. <laughs> but in general, <laughs> you know, when I stop loving you is, is, is the king, the prince is uh, where I want to be. I think what's so interesting about um, when did I st- when did you stop loving when I stopped loving you is that again like Slam said the hook isn't until the end of the song but that is a complete narrative that leads directly to that hook you know it's not like it comes out of nowhere it's like he's telling the story the first two out uh, the first two songs on that album talks about um, how you know meeting um, Anna and kind of takes you through their relationship but then when did I stop loving you does the same thing. Um, you know, now as I recall, and he starts recalling everything and the good times and the bad times and this, that, and the third. And then it's like, it just brings you to this point of emotion where you as the listener, like Arthur, I guess, experienced it when he hears it. Mm-hmm. You're just like, you, you, you feel like you're right there with Marvin and Anna. And then all of a sudden, just the, the hook comes in and it just like slaps you right upside your head. Great pick, Mr. Perry. Keeping with um, Salam's Marvin Gaye pick, my favorite, um, I think the the song that encapsulates the breakup or the uh, <laughs> the the art of the breakup or the the pain of the breakup the most, to me is Marvin's "Just to Keep You Satisfied" from "Let's Let's Get It On," um, the last track on "Let's Get On" right after "You Sure Love the Ball," um, so he goes from a song basically that kind of um, foreshadowed the "I Want You" album to a song that foreshadowed the Hear My Dear album. Um, and so just to keep you satisfied is this beautiful... Um, I mean, if you if you follow the template of someone who doesn't think that lyrics are important for Slow Jam and you want to put, like, Question of You on a Slow Jam tape... <laughs> He's looking at me. <laughs> then then you, can, you can also put Just to Keep You Satisfied on a Slow Jam tape. Mm-hmm. But if the woman you with happens to listen to the lyrics, she's going to be like, hold on, wait a minute, what's, what's really happening here? Because this song is like one of the most beautiful breakups ever it talks it admits the um the beauty of the relationship the fact that i never loved anybody the way i loved you which he sings in like a just like a uh agonizing you know um a lyric and the way he articulates it is beautiful then he, he admits though that the, all the good times we had could never outweigh all the bad times um so it's a very honest song in that it's not a clear i just don't like you no more type breakup it's a complicated confused um you know i love you but we're no good for each other type song and we have to go our separate ways um it's time for us to say goodbye um you know and it's time to cry at this point uh it's just it's 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 beautiful and heart-wrenching at the same time um and it's marvin to me um at his best along with you know a few of the other songs my runner-up to that would be anna's song from um the hear my dear album anna's anna's song i think is a Another song, again, similar to Salam's pick that takes you through his relationship with Anna, talking about the beautiful times they had in Detroit, you know, sitting, you know, on the swings, watching the kids play. 
um, all the way up into the end where he tells her, hey, you know, this is your song. I told you I would write it. Never have a fear. You know, and it's just like he's almost kind of being a little tongue in cheek um, and a little sarcastic. But at the same time, he's being honest and it's painful for him to see this relationship end. Um, and real quick, if I the third runner up mentioned it on the show many years ago, but got to bring it back. Jermaine Jackson's Don't Take It Personal. <laughs> One of the most unique breakup songs ever, you know, like basically giving an inspirational pep talk while at the same time breaking a girl's heart. That's it's like, uh, I'm sorry, you're not my kind of girl. I'm so, you know, it's like, I mean, but that even that song was preceded the relationship. This is after the relationship. They've had the relationship and saying, listen, you know, don't be sad. You you got your whole life ahead of you. No, the new edition, that's 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 we getting it going. But this thing I was working on prior to you panned out. So I'm gonna let you go. Yeah, but the but he's saying in that song though, he's telling her, you know, you're not my kind of girl as if we're not gonna get together. This song, they've been together. There's love has been exchanged, there's real emotion here, <laughs> real feelings here. Mm-hmm. But I'm ending it and you should feel good about this because you got your whole life ahead of you. So it's kind of like a Jedi mind trick that he pulled on on this female. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's my honorable mention. But yeah, my, my favorite is just so to keep you disclaimer, satisfied. Disclaimer, I actually have uh, just to keep you satisfied on my slow jam tape. But I utilize it as a bathroom, <laughs> get something to drink break. <laughs> like in between the rest of, you know, the, the, oh the love song for me at that point is really uh, since I stopped loving you. Is that it? The one where he goes, I'm going to give you some head. And that goes all the way. Soon soon I'll be loving you. So it goes all the way there. But then at some point, it's like, ah. And then, ooh, (laughs) ah. Somehow we end up over there. So I utilize that. Even though I know it's not really romantic, but she could use it as a cute then you can leave now. But what if she starts? What if she's like listening to that while you're in the bathroom? She really pays attention to that song. The background's actually working out. The time you come back from the bathroom, she's paying that much changed. attention. Then I need to be talking shit to make it work. <laughs> that's when. The, that's when the girl asks, "Wow, what is the question of you?" <laughs> Don't see Arthur. You always trying to see. You trying to start some shit again. <laughs> Hilarious. John, what you got for me? Cool. So I'm going to choose from the palette of Michelle and Dego Cello. She has so many beautiful breakup songs. Uh, in, in fact, she's got a breakup album, um, Bitter, which I think we've covered that before on this show. Mm-hmm. And the first track I'm going to choose is from that album, and it's called Fool of Me. Mm. And I think it just speaks to sometimes how you can feel after a breakup, like you've been taken advantage of and you've been deceived. Um, and sometimes you play a part yourself in that so yeah it, dope lyrics dope music just very very evocative used to perfection I know you're probably going to disagree with me Jay but used to the perfection at the end of Love and Basketball when that when the beat drops when the ball when the ball drops and the beat drops mm, yeah wow I'll allow it <laughs> okay thank you snobs and the second Michelle tune I'll choose is Outside Your Door from Plantation Lullabies. Mm, yeah. I just love the music for that song. Um, I like the chordal quality. I like the soulfulness of it. Yeah. Don't you mean Brian McKnight? Have you ever crossed my mind? Uh, no, and neither do you because the song's called Anytime. <laughs> no, I don't mean that and neither does Michelle. <laughs> but actually, if you want to flip it, Michelle did cover the song from herself. 
So before Plantation Lullabies, Michelle gave the song to a group called Voice Boxing. Um, she wrote it, she produced it, she plays on it. I think Lenny White plays on it as well. And the song there is actually called Talk To Me, but it's the same song, same lyrics. And if you know the song, the refrain is Here I sit outside your door, talk to me. So outside your door, talk to me, same song. Yeah, that's, that's my pick for today. Tomorrow might be Funkadelics, you scared the loving out of me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My goat, Phil Collins, Against All Odds. Mm. The ultimate power ballad. Mm. Big tune. It's a, Big tune. It's a, it's a, an outtake from his Face Value album from 1981, but was reworked for a 1984 film called Against All Odds. Uh, produced by R.F. Martin. Um, recorded in two days mm. uh, cross country New York and Collins did vocals and drums in LA done while they were, while he was on tour with Genesis mm. it is the ultimate all in my feelings breakup song inspired by the breakup of his first marriage um, dude he, he says that it was this song that helped him make the transition from a musician to a lyricist and I mean, we're talking about, let me see. How can I just let you walk away, just let you leave without a trace when I stand here taking every breath with you? You're the only one who knew me well. Um, how can you just walk away from me when all I can do is watch you leave because we've shared the laughter and the pain and even shared the tears. You're the only one that knew me well. Take a look at me now. Well, there's just an empty space, Isaac. Mm, mm. Empty space. Empty space. <laughs> well. And there's nothing left here mm. to remind me. Just the memory of your face. Because, girl, you took all the pictures. All right now. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> all right now. <laughs> so I like the I like the fact that you said that. You said he said that made him into a lyricist. Or yeah. That, that, it, 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 that song helped him make the transition from musician mm-hmm. to lyricist. I wonder, you said it was recorded in two days. I wonder how long it took him to write that. I know, I know. Well, it's three years apart. It was written in 81. Mm-hmm. Uh, he demoed it for face value. It's left as an outtake. When it was reworked, it was reworked in, but but re-recorded mm-hmm. in two days, two-day session. Because a lot of these songwriters, you know, they write lines, just like I guess like any other writer, they write lines here and there, keep them in a notebook, or they write a poem or something like that, and then they extract, you know, the line from there and bring, you know, so I wonder... What? Because you said that that followed his his divorce, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Or preceded or followed? Followed. It. Followed it. Yeah. Interesting. Is uh is in the air tonight a breakup song? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, you're breaking up with your cartel connect. <laughs> <laughs> I found the Crockett's, new link. Crockett's breakup song. Crockett and Tubbs breakup song. Right, right, right. With my man, they were chasing at the end. Hop, hop in the spider and roll out. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm That's sure funny. they would view it like that. Although yeah. during Jay, not to get too Miami Vice, but during the that montage, he did pull over to call his his ex, and the song fit perfectly with that the mood of that call as well. True. It's the all-purpose breakup song. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, since we had some uh, number twos, my second, too much, too little, too late. Johnny Mathis and Denise Williams. Mm. You got you got deep cuts. Okay. Mm. Johnny just comes right out of the gate. Yes, it's over. Call, <laughs> call it a day. 
Sorry it had to end this way, but we knew this had to end. We can't pretend. We knew it had to end one someday. It's like there wasn't any hope from the from the gate. <laughs> There's nothing better. Than, and Denise comes back. Yeah, it's over. There's nothing better than hearing Arthur interpret a song, like act a song out. That shit is. <laughs> I hope y'all. I hope y'all saw all that because that was phenomenal. He, he, he's doing the puppet shows. Oh man, he can act out a song. <laughs> too much, too little, too late to ever try again. Salam. <laughs> uh, you also had you said earlier that bitch don't kill my vibe is on your list yeah too, man right? that was the first thing that came out when I saw the round table question I was wow. like yeah best wow. breakup song bitch don't kill my vibe <laughs> wow you know what bitch don't you killing my vibe <laughs> let's just let's call it a day um, <laughs> what about what about um, I mean why she gotta be shouldn't it be the radio version? right girl don't kill my vibe what, or is it just nothing just, don't kill my vibe <laughs> Don't kill my vibe. Which fill in, fill in the blank. Don't the... kill my vibe. <laughs> I uh, enough of this. I'm going to bed. <laughs> All right. This is a full lid on this episode of the Music Snobs podcast. We would like to give a great big thank you to Salam Remy for taking some time out, having some lunch with us. <laughs> Joining us on this conversation, we've really, really enjoyed you having ha- ha- having uh, having you sit down with us. Oh, uh, my pleasure. Much love. You know, much, always much good. Love. Now you got me, gave me some music to go look up as well. Mm, real know, cool. <laughs> like, hmm, perspectives, perspectives. It's always great to uh, hear different perspectives. Well, we can be found online at themusicsnobs.com On Twitter, our handle is Total Music Snobs. We invite you to subscribe to the show in iTunes or your favorite podcast aggregator. iTunes, Stitcher, what else? Overcast. Yeah, Overcast. Get at us everywhere. (laughs) And make sure you listen to our sister show, Snobs on Film. Snobs on Film. At Snobs on Film on Twitter and Instagram and snobsonfilm.com online. Thank you. That's why I have (laughs) co-hosts. Tell me to remember all this stuff. All right, that's it. Peace. We'll see you next show.